Welcome to Verbal Art, a podcast where we talk about artsy stuff in different locations. Okay. Uh, yes. Welcome to Verbal Art with Senia Ram. Um, if you haven't listened before, you can go back and listen. There are a lot of episodes now, but it's this podcast series where I interview creative people about their jobs and their works and we go on location and we talk about these galleries and these spaces that we work in. And today I am in Forum Box in Helsinki with Jenny Heili. Hello. Yeah, and we're going to talk about your embryo type exhibition. Embryo type. <laughs> oh, but at least I didn't say your name wrong. A lot of episodes I say people's names wrong. No worries. <laughs> Embryo types are something <laughs> very fertile. <laughs> well, luckily a lot of the listeners also don't have English as their first language. So. <laughs> Embryo type. Uh, so, hi Yanni. Mm, you can introduce yourself or the work or however you want to start. So, my name is Jenny Heidi and I'm a photographic artist. Um, have been practicing for, well, depends how you actually calculate it, but I started when I was 10 years. I maybe I wasn't called artist back then, but, but then maybe 20 years or so, I've been doing my own projects. Um, first a little bit slower and now a little bit more in the last few years. Um, yeah, what else? I don't know. You got your first camera when you were 10? Yeah, well, yeah, actually it was, uh, I got one, my first camera a little bit earlier than that, but um, at 10 I started making my own darkroom work in black and white prints in this kind of a school for children and young people, so I was always in the photo laboratory Wow! since then. So That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and I know Jenny because Jenny has taught me most of what I know about photography, I would say. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, from teaching in my school, the Fine Arts Academy in Helsinki. Um, and we have been practicing with these like old school collodion uh, types of, but maybe we, you should explain what embryo type is, like, right. yeah, because it's a really, it's a really specific kind of photography, old school technique, and I think once the audience know what it is actually as we're looking at, then we can talk a little bit about the room and the whole display maybe. But sure. what is this, why is this form of photography really particular? Yeah, uh, well, um, wet plate collodion process was, was invented in 1851 by a British man called Frederick Scott Archer and it was kind of an advancement from those previous historical uh, photographic processes. The first one which was a daguerreotype 1839 and after that there was another UK gentleman um, Sir Henry Fox Talbot who created his own uh, process called the color type which was um, basing on paper negatives and it was also the first process where you actually created positive images out of negatives so they were reproduction uh, reproducible is that a word mm. um, so the improvement to Talbot's method uh, that Archer invented this wet plate collodion was that instead of using paper bases uh, you could use glass plates and um, 
So, 1851, Archer's process created negatives on glass plates, and as the name says, wet plate collodion means that the photographic plate is sensitive only as long as the plate stays wet. So you basically have to take your photograph uh, and develop it immediately after. So basically you have like a 15 minute window of operation to get everything done, meaning that you need to bring your darkroom with you wherever you want to take pictures. So it was quite cumbersome, obviously. Uh, Ambrotype is then yet another development from the wet plate collodion negative process uh, invented a little bit later. Um, and that is kind of a direct positive method using the same sensitization process as for the wet plate negatives, uh, only the exposure time is shorter. Uh, it's basically an underexposed negative image, which is also then developed in a different kind of a developer, so that when the silver metallizes in the development, instead of creating something dark, it stays rather bright. And when you then back up such an uh, image on a glass plate with something black, it kind of magically transforms into a positive image, even though in reality it is a negative. So, oof, wow, that was a good introduction of history. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, for the listeners who have not been so fortunate to watch all your lectures on uh, art history, what we're talking about is these like first types of photography where people were having these like um, if they were doing it in the field like uh, war photography in America or something they had like whole horse carriage wagons as dark rooms with them it's these large format cameras with super long exposure time uh, and if you don't know what a large format camera is you can listen to the very first episode of this podcast series where Cosmo Grosbach explains that but basically when you say shorter exposure time we are still talking a long long exposure time yes for those who understand about photographic sensitivity the iso number of wet plate is somewhere around iso 1 whereas regularly um, like even with normal films it's more usually around iso 400 so it's uh, many many times more <laughs> So what is a click on a camera normally here is like 10, 15, 20, 30 seconds, right? Yes, yeah, 20 to 30 seconds, depending yeah. a little bit on the, on the circumstance where you're photographing, yeah. Which is one of the reasons why people in old photographs look so serious. It's not only because it's serious business getting photographed and really expensive, it's also because you have to stay really still and keep your eyes open for half a minute. Yeah. And it's really hard to smile for half a minute without looking insane. Yes. And also many of those eyes of those old portraits are actually painted on. They are not the real eyes of the sitters. Because people could people not blink. blink. Yeah. Yeah. So they might be a little fuzzy and then they need, need it to be retouched. It's also really so hard. Sure. We have done some sessions in school where I have had my eyes open for 25 seconds yes. or more. With all this like super strong light. And you end up having this really intense look, like a Tyra Banks model moment. And mm -hmm. It's cool, but it's also yeah. specific. Um, okay, so that people maybe understand, like it's this like really old, several hundred years of photography history that people are still practicing in yeah. a very authentic method. Yeah. And so all of your photos here, 
They are glass plates. They are glass plates. So they are basically um, either on black opaque glass or then just like clear translucent glass. Because you need a black background or something dark behind to be able to see the photo as a positive. Or even actually to be able to see it. If I look at it with the white wall behind, it's like uh, it's like someone etched in a dirty window or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. That's how it looks. Yeah, true. Uh, so maybe can you help describe the room and the gallery to people just to like help yeah. bring them into the space? So this gallery, the forum box, it is uh, one of the or maybe even the oldest artist-run gallery in the capital area. Mm. Uh, if I remember co co correctly, it was maybe like 95, 96 or something when it was founded, and it's still uh, run as an association of artists. And uh, it is quite a large space. It used to be an old storage, uh, which then the artists themselves renovated. From the you know, concrete floors to painting the walls and everything, and this space we are now at, it's called Barbi, in the back of the gallery, and it's a little bit. It means like um, what would be the word? Like something like elevated space. Yeah, you have to walk up yeah. a little bit of stairs to get to the yes. room. <laughs> so it is not so high as the other two rooms, which are very high. I don't even know if it's like five or six meters high, and this is not that much. Um, and this room is quite uh, narrow and long. Yeah, it's a very industrial old space and it's, they kept it quite raw. It's like yeah. white cube, white walls, but it's like rough white yeah. and rough concrete floors and, and very minimal. But that also means that people can do a lot of what they want with the yeah. space when they exhibit. Yeah, I think I've been here once before, like in my first year in Helsinki. Mm. We're just by the harbor, it's a really nice location. Yeah. It's a little bit funnily tucked in between quite fancy hotels. It is, yeah, <laughs> interestingly so, yeah. Yeah, okay, and... Um, What is your exhibition called here? Okay, so the exhibition, or actually a photographic installation, it's called Voyage Out. Borrowed from Virginia Woolf's book, obviously, <laughs> with the same name. Was that a starting point inspiration or was this like a funny later reference? It was actually a working title for uh, quite a long time when I was thinking of this project and then uh, I just didn't come up with anything better, so it stayed. <laughs> And so, what we basically have here in this long, it's quite a large room, long and narrow, but yeah. you have worked with a room and this way you put this super long wooden bar desk table, or I don't know what to call it, like a very yeah. tall elevated table at table. least, yeah. And how many pictures have you placed on this table? Uh, well, the table, first of all, is 12 meters long, all in all. It's in eight pieces, luckily, though, otherwise it would be impossible to move it around. And there are 146 types <gasps> on it. Oh, it's so many. Yes. And the installation is... Um, so I've, I've custom-ordered these tables, and they have grooves on the surface of the mm -hmm. tabletop, which enables me to position the glass plate photograph standing upright on the table. Yes, yeah, so they're not mounted in any way. You just like stuck them into just, these little yeah. grits. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. So it's in a way easy installation, easy to take apart. It's a little bit like a puzzle. You can transform it 
to different spaces. Obviously, now I have planned this for this particular space, so that's yeah, where the length sure. of the table comes from. It also looks a little bit like a 3D puzzle where all the pieces are like sticking up into the space, and yeah. it mimics quite nicely like the lamp fixtures that are also like long and multiplied in the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. Did you know it was going to be in this room before you started the whole thing? Uh, well, I didn't know that I would get this exhibition space when I started kind of planning it, but once I knew it, I made the installation in accordance to the space. So, okay, yeah, yeah, in that sense, it took its final form while I already had the knowledge. 146? Yeah. Wow. And what's on the images? Well, uh, these are two timelines. Uh, on this side where we are standing now, it's my great-great-aunt Fanny, um, who originated from the Vibok municipality over the Karelian side, which is now part of Russia, Russia but used to be Finland. Mm. So it's where my father's family originally is from. And uh, so Fanny, my great-great-aunt, born in 1894, moved to the America when she was 16. And it's kind of, I, I turned 40 a couple of years ago. And uh, obviously it was some sort of an approaching uh, midlife crisis that made me want to understand where I am from, where are my roots, since um, in my own like immediate family we never really were very much in touch with any of the other family like members, so I didn't know very much. I knew just like a few very small stories, like something that one of my ancestors at some point moved to America, but I didn't know who and when and why and nothing like that. And they so, stayed there and like had the lineage well, this I also didn't know, so oh, okay. yeah, I wow. had to make some family research mm. and uh, then I find, found Fanny, who actually isn't like, well, is my great-great-aunt, so my um, great-grandfather's, uh, great-grandmother's uh, sister, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, we're recording a podcast, we can just move a little bit here for a moment. Sure. <laughs> the gallery is open, people are watching. <laughs> Um, okay, so, so yes, I was saying that on this side of the table it's funny story and it starts from the Vibog municipality from the countryside of Vibog and then uh, they are just land landscapes uh, along her road, how she then arrived first to New York and eventually to California and Los Angeles where she then died in Fresno in the 50s. And so it's her original photos, she took these photos? No, no, I actually don't even have a photograph of her, so I don't know how she looked like. I have a picture of her sister though. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, but no, most of these pictures are taken by me, uh, but then uh, since we have had these difficulties in our world's politics, as we all know, in the past few years, so I wasn't able to complete all the travels that I was meant to do in the creation of this this installation mm -hmm. so I then had to resort, resort to other so sources of images so mm -hmm. there are also pictures from books and archives and some drawings that I made uh, mainly basing on pictures by other people or, or something else and of course since it is trendy there are also pictures that are created by this artificial intelligence really you have software. AI photos in there yes, that's funny <laughs> okay so basically you have traveled around 
trying to follow her footsteps. In a way, yes. Yeah, and you couldn't start on the Russian side because the borders were Well, actually, closed. I had a very small window, so I was able to make a short hop over that border, but I didn't manage to cross the ocean yet, so that is still the Ah, uh, to go to the States. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow, okay. And on the other side, then, there is my great-aunt, Signe's stories, or while I was doing this uh, family research, I found out actually that also from my mother's side there is somebody who hopped over, and I was um, happy to find out that it was also a woman. So, uh, Signe is my great aunt, so my grandfather's sister. Who also moved to America. Who also moved to America. Signe was born a little later, 1902, and she was 25 when she left. And she then stayed rather in the Boston area, in the smaller towns there, and uh, married a Swedish man and eventually also came back, but to Sweden, to Malmö, oh. her husband. So that's then the, on the other side of the table. So it's a private like a family research project with a photography imagery as the route or yeah I want to say like you have been following a visual map also yeah yeah kind of um, I don't know like a investigation of landscape and memory and time and everything is kind of overlapping and, and uh, yeah affecting each other and so on. and why did you choose to make them types? well I was actually um, I had many ideas what to do with different kinds of photographic processes. Um, I once before I made another work where I use this kind of a three-dimensional feeling where you have a like a, an umbra type of black glass in the background and a clear glass in front, and I sort of liked that idea. And then um, yeah, when I was thinking about this space and how to install it and everything, so I just thought this kind of a timeline idea works. Uh, for the topic and also I like this uh, three-dimensionality because obviously the pictures as I listed they are from different sources from different times so to create this kind of um, three-dimensional look into the time and those spaces so just sort of work and uh, yeah when you look at it it kind of creates this uh, like multiple exposure feelings at some point because mm -hmm. there are, at points there are many pictures kind of Overlapping. Overlapping since the groups are in different uh, locations on the tabletop. So. And for the people who don't know what multiple exposure means, it means that when you take several photographs on the same frame of the film, so you have these like several photographs on top of each other, and that you can do with yeah, yeah. a lot of old film cameras. And you, yeah. yeah. Also digitally, but you yeah, true. Really it's what people do in Photoshop, also basically. Also, yes, <laughs> but here it's all separate pictures. They are just positioned so that they would create the illusion of multiple exposure. Mm. I'm just going to move this back over so we can stand closer. So, um, do we follow a chronological timeline, or did you like fictionalize it and create? Uh, and do we follow the the travel route, or? Um, how did you decide the, the order of the timeline? Yeah, it's roughly according to how they actually then traveled. I had to simplify some because I know Fanny also did do some travels back and forth, uh, but I didn't have all the information. As people so, do sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have all the information where, where she then went, I know. Mm -hmm. uh, 
yeah of some some travels but not much but yeah it's pretty much how they like more or less chronological so to say mm. and how long did you do this research for like how long has this project been going on um, well uh, actively for one year but uh, of course I started a little earlier than that and then I finished a little later so maybe all in all it would sum up to something like a year and a half or two years uh, when I've been dealing with this idea but obviously not like all the time working only for this. Mm. And did you approach it so that you first did like all the research and then started just like mass producing images or did you like make the images along the way and figured out the aesthetical choices like with the research as a the, did the processes like inform each other or was it very now I move from there to there. I mean, when it's quite a large project. So. It is, yeah. Well, I, I did uh, first family research, but like majority of it, of course, mm -hmm. it continued in the meanwhile as well a little bit, but the majority of it I had done and this rough timelines of, of both of these ads. Um, uh, but along the family research, of course, I also found images that I thought might be interesting, so I kept on saving them. Mm. So, uh, in addition to researching the family, I, of course, had to do quite a lot of research of imagery from different kinds of image archives that are available online to find those locations, especially, especially on those places where I was unable to travel myself thus far. Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting, you have this distant relationship to the history and these people and then to have to do the research and the work, like, from a distance, it adds this extra yeah. layer of, uh, can't really touch it, can, yeah, s can yeah. see, but can never really reach and be sure. Yeah, more fictional than I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you also create a fictional, like, narrative within this or is it very documentarist for you? Well, I said I simplified, mm. but uh, it is yeah, mainly basing on my research results. So the timeline kind of goes chronologically in accordance to the locations where these women traveled, uh, from where and to where. Um, but obviously the pictures are from different time periods. They are then not chronological the images. Yeah. Maybe let's take a look at some of the imagery here. Um, is there anything you want to like highlight any specific image right here in the early timeline of Fanny that you want to describe to the people? Well, um, well, Fanny was from the, as I said, the municipality of Vibok, Surpero and Sainia. So um, there used to be this kind of a house. Uh, that is a drawing here, and it was called Hailila. My surname is Haili, so the place mm. of the Hailis. It was a big farmhouse, and they did like farming work, and this was gathering the hay from the field. I found a photograph and then made a drawing of it. And then turned the drawing into an emperor type exactly. photograph. Yeah. Wow, it's a lot of translation processes. Yes. <laughs> so, as I said, I was able to make this very short travel to that place and I found out that actually there still exists a house that looks quite familiar how this Hailila house used to be. It's not the same house obviously it has just one window and originally it had two so it was probably bigger before but but something was still kind of there but it was uh, yeah interesting. And 
how much could you figure out about the personality of these women and like their lifestyle or personal experiences? Was that like possible to dig up at all or? Well, not really, like in details, obviously, because um, well, I, I know rumors. Like I know that uh, there is a rumor, but nobody has been able to confirm it to me. Nor did I find anything like any historical proof of it. But there is one rumor that Fanny would have been a housekeeper for Betty Davis at some oh, point wow. <laughs> in the states. Uh, so she was, uh, yeah, this kind of housekeeper or a cook. Uh, was her professions. She married three times in the US, um, at least according to the names of her husbands. Mm -hmm. They were always Finnish descendants though. Um, and so I guess she, well, at least was lucky in love maybe, or maybe unlucky, I don't know, since the husbands kept, kept dying. But. <laughs> yeah, okay, but it was the old days, <laughs> people died a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, those, those are just kind of, uh, very, very limited. I haven't also been able to confirm um, if they had ever any children or something. So this, mm. I don't know. Okay, so let's move on a little bit. I see a lot of these... Uh, there are a lot of houses. And Okay, so one thing about this technique that people maybe don't really grasp if they can't see it, it's very ghostly. It's really... It has this milky, ghostly look. And there, is the, there are these natural um, mistakes, or what to call them. I don't want to call them mistakes because they're part of the wonderful part of this medium. But yeah. but they are. But they are, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, yeah. corners that are missing of the image and like little runs of uh, liquid chemicals that has like yeah. uh, dried. And so it looks like super old uh, ghost portraits of places. So all of these houses, no matter how old or whatever, they all look like haunted mansions in a way when they are placed like this, um, which is quite nice because it is a little bit this ghost history when you don't know these like um, yeah. figments of someone that you are trying to imagine there. Well, I have to say the missing corners are part of the, the photographic process when you put this kind of a sensitized glass plate into a plate holder and then into the camera to be able to photograph it you need to have something to support it so the corners are supporting the glass plate mm. so they are kind of meant to be there and it's just an indication that it, all those pictures were actually photographed inside a camera so good we like technical clarifications on yeah. this podcast <laughs> yeah uh, some sort of inherited um, Whatever. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. That's one of the reasons why I thought it would be great to have you explain all this because you have explained me several times and I kind of understood, even though it's really difficult, it's like it's yeah. not easy photography. This no, it's not easy. That's uh, that's for sure. There are, as I said, mistakes. So there are um, like a billion things that can go wrong with this kind of a very fiddly process. So, and all those things have gone wrong. And uh, as I said to some of my fellow wet platers in Finland, I go and see my exhibition, make a bingo for yourself. You can find 
had all the mistakes there. So, but I kind of like them, most of them, so I don't want my plates to be too clean also. No, I understand. Like, why would you choose a medium like this if you wanted it to be super clean? Mm -hmm. But then when we look at the historical pictures, like you um, already talked about this American Civil War photography, uh, which was one of the first, well, it was the first war where they actually documented some sort of actions, also people and not only the landscapes, and it, they used this wet plate collodion process. And when you look at the negatives that they created, they're perfect. It's it's incredible. I mean, how how were they able to create such perfect negatives <laughs> under those circumstances in the field? Yeah, it's really like poof. Maybe the chemicals have been different back then. No, I don't think so. No. Yeah, no, the process is the same. It's just you know they are masters. We are still practicing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, and okay, so I'm a little bit curious. How is it that you get these images that you maybe found online in some archive or something? Yeah. How do you get that then through the large format photography? large format camera onto these glass plates like what is happening in this from digital yeah. archive onto this very tangible handmade medium yeah so all those pictures that are presented here they are actually reproduction photographs so mm. I didn't photograph anything on site it would have been too much of a hassle and also the transporting of those chemicals especially over any borders is uh, rather impossible you have to then be able to have a local source or something like that so um, yeah I, I photographed with uh, mainly like digital cameras even myself and then uh, re-photograph them in my studio with this very old school and from the beginning of the 1900s studio camera so that's how they came so you printed them first as like a normal dark room prints and then photographed that or you photographed screens? I mainly I photographed from the screen actually. Okay. This is something I haven't admitted out loud before, but now <laughs> I tell you that I photographed it from a good quality screen, so just in order to avoid this producing of kind of intermittent waste, let's say. Mm. Yeah. But it's also a really interesting process to so these photos have originally been shot with large format cameras, most a lot of them the are the, the, ones, the old ones, ones. Yeah. and then they have been like uh, digitized at one point and stored and then you take and you turn the digital back into this old process. Some of them might even have even been embryo types to start with. It's possible? Mm, probably no. not, but it's possible. Okay, yeah. yeah. But at least to take something from this old analog photography and it goes into digital archive, then you can like pick it out of the cloud somewhere and then yeah. turn it back into this like this memorabilia of, yeah. of technique. I mean, most artists anyway translation processes in some way, right? And yeah. photography is like translating what you see and what the eye can do yeah. into then what other eyes can see in some other way. So it's, I don't think it's about admitting or not. I think it's just like, it's like yeah, there is an interesting artistic yeah. choice and process and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, um, as an artist, I always think that uh, all the tools that you have in your 
use, why not use them? I mean, and, and there is no heroism in trying to make things even more difficult, uh, like <laughs> photographing in the field, if you can achieve the same result, more or less the same at least, uh, with a little bit simpler process. So why should you suffer more than you actually have? It's already enough suffering <laughs> and also so, in the studio. I mean, realistically, it would have been more than a year if you would have had to actually travel around and done yes. large format of red plate photography on site for yeah. two timelines in two different yeah. lives through the states and yeah it would have been yeah probably a process of a decade <laughs> yeah yeah so it's i understand and especially with the lockdown and what do you do yeah do you postpone an idea for like how I, many I did. years i postponed it for one year and then when they started uh, the world started open, opening again. I thought, okay, now I can start. And then came this bloody wall. So what yeah. can you do? Just have to make do. Yeah, um, because there's also a limit to how long you want to or can postpone something if you've yeah. already applied for the exhibition or you lose yeah. your momentum with something. And yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, let's look at this one here with the ladders. I think that's really nice. Yeah, it's uh, also from Zurbera, so where this original Haila farm used to exist. It's actually next to um, a factory that used to be there, a old nail factory. It's a bridge, and I don't know what those ladder-looking things are there. Maybe something to four really I tall ladders just sticking from the bridge up into the air. Yeah, they are. They are probably there is kind of rapids or some sort of underneath, so they are probably to control the rapids or something like that. I guess it was used as a power source for the factory before the times. Um, why this place was important to me is that I know one of my great-great-grandfather's uh, children uh, actually drowned somewhere around in this area. She was oh. Sophia, seven years old. So, In maybe this river we can see on the photo. Yes, somewhere around this this yeah, river in in the nearby of this Ferrania nail factory that used to exist there. So. Yeah, there's a lot of industry history in Finland, which is for me quite interesting because in Denmark we don't oh, right. have so much industry. Really? Uh, yeah. A lot of agriculture. The country is not very big. Yeah, true. There is industry, like a lot of windmills and stuff. But here in Helsinki, you know, like mm. in the middle of the city, there's still active, like large industry spaces. And yeah. it's just a natural part of the cityscape. This I don't know that much from home yeah mm. it's most of it has been converted into spaces like this or, oh, okay yeah. yeah so how did you did this photo did you go there and take this or is it old or yeah i went there and took this uh, as i said i had this very small window where i had an opportunity to make a short trip over the border to the russian side uh, despite of all these difficulties that are going on and uh, it was actually um, hmm, a little bit uh, well interesting let's say the least i was just yeah quite calmly walking around this factory old factory area taking some pictures with my very like discreet small digital pocket camera like a tourist like a tourist yeah. type of thing and then all of a sudden i see that there is uh, somebody coming from one of those factory uh, yards and starts approaching me and uh, so just still active there, yeah, there is something going on, probably, uh, yeah, not, not nails anymore, but something else. And uh, yeah, then this man obviously started to follow me, so I started to return towards my guide, who was also my uh, driver and translator, since I don't speak Russian myself. And then once this man reached us, um, 
he was very angry, like so angry that his cheek muscles were all red and shivering. <gasps> and then he was talking something very angrily to my guide and my guide didn't translate everything. But what he said was that this uh, man suspected that I'm a spy. Mm. And just before he left, he looked at me deep into my eyes with his cheeks still trembling and said, Goodbye, America! <laughs> so it was really this kind of like, okay, I understand, it's a very sensitive political situation. And uh, I was super happy that I had this guide with me and I wasn't there like on my own. And yeah, I guess it wasn't very welcoming at all. And still it felt a little strange because it was, you know, where my father's family is originally from. <laughs> so I somehow felt like I should have a right to look around there but and yeah. also on the photo it looks like quite an idyllic countryside yeah. place with like a river and trees and yeah it was beautiful it was beautiful there is like this this scenery here is the same uh, river landscape oh, yeah. that is there so yeah okay yeah but and these are the rapids then so it's the same bridge those sticking ah you took it from the other side oh yeah. that's nice Okay, so actually quite a large part of the first timeline here is from... From around the Vibok area. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think it's important where, where a person is from. So, because that kind of affects a lot how, how you will perceive your future locations in a way. They are some, something like where you spent your childhood. Childhood is somehow imprinted in you and yeah. in the way how you observe. So. And also it's I the place it. that you choose to leave. Yeah, also, also, yeah. Mm. And this is interesting. It's a historical photo of something we call in Finnish Ristipetaja or Karsikopu. They are like these sacred trees um, that uh, were used to um, memorialize your um, old uh, dead ancestors or something. Like oh, really? one tradition says that the initials of the dead person was carved on this tree on the route to a graveyard and then if the dead person would like to come back home and ghost around when they pass by this tree and see their initials there they will realize oh okay i died so i shouldn't go back home anymore oh so, wow yeah this is from Sainio area did you find any initials from your family do you know no i i didn't find the actual tree anymore i tried to but i didn't know where it was exactly and maybe and it probably is. doesn't exist yeah, anymore after yeah. all those wars and everything that happened in those areas so so this is a a picture from a finnish archive well so do you know when the picture is from approximately i do know we have a note with like a museum paper with the pictures and dates Oh no, actually it's undated, mm. but the picture is originally taken by Viktor Svetich. Svetich, maybe. Yeah. And what type of tree is it? Pardon? What type of a tree is it? It's a leaf tree, no? Or, I don't or know is it a name. fir? It looks like, I don't know, it's a little bit hard to see from this, this type of photo. Yeah, they say... Honestly, it has the build of a leaf. sacred pruning tree. Okay. Yes. Uh, what probably Google translation <laughs> translate translated it since I was using it. I didn't know the vocabulary so well. Yeah, I mean pruning is just like trimming something. Yeah. Kind of. 
but sacred. It has like the build of a leaf tree, but then the leaves look like little, on this photo, small and curly, so I, I don't know. It's nice. Do you know if this tradition is still upkept somewhere, or is it like lost with history? I guess it's more or less lost with history, of course, I don't know of everything, but I know there is, uh, close to you, Vascula, there is, uh, I actually visited it, uh, was it last summer, yeah, um, a small forest of those trees where you still can see the initials. So as well. Yeah. I imagine now like these, like that it would be these gateways to cemeteries and then they would be full of initials. Yeah, but they are normally not uh, right next to the cemetery. They are, they are en route and they are these old roads that normally mm. are not going along the current uh, streets or road lines. So, mm. yeah. Forever in my life, if I ever see a tree with initials in Finland, I will be unsure if it's someone marking I was here or the person I love or if it was someone who died. Yeah, <laughs> you can't be sure. No, but it's quite nice. Wow. Yeah. And it's a really good little um, light uh, wave that you have going on in the, yeah. in the sky of this image. Which it's is difficult with the lights as uh, when I... Move oh. that a little bit. It's just how the because the light comes directly from above. There I thought was no it was part way. of the ambrotype. No, print. yeah, it's not. I actually I wanted to get rid of that, but in this particular space, it's not possible since there is only just one rail of uh, spotlights in the mm. ceiling. So I had to illuminate both sides of these timelines with the same lamps. So it meant light coming directly from above, and then when the light refracts from the edge of the glass plate, it creates this kind of a zigzag lighter air. Area on Actually, I love it. I thought images. it was part of all the prints, yeah. and I, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, um, I just accepted it yeah. since I didn't have any other option. Yeah. No, I mean, one thing is that people do in galleries to avoid reflections mm. is that they use gallery glass or museum glass yes. in their frames, which is super expensive glass yeah. that protects your images from like what UV rays and yeah. stuff, but also is like non-reflective. Could you do? wet plate printing on museum glass? You could and you should if you have the money for it. I didn't. Uh, no, especially so. with 146. Yeah. And how many broken <laughs> plates can we... No broken plates? No broken plates no broken because they're plates. all glass and it's quite thin. Yeah. It's really, th it's fragile. It's two millimeters thick. Yeah, so not, not very much. Of course, there are some cracked corners or something like that. Yeah, but you didn't things. drop any? I didn't drop any. Even so in I'm the installation careful. because this concrete floor, you know? Yeah, no, I didn't. Okay. Mm, I'm good in well, that way. Yeah. Well, thus far, let's see how, when it all comes off, <laughs> how, how many I still have of the, the dismantling. Yeah. Okay. But of course, there were quite a few um, like um, unsuccessful plates that I made. And what, when you say unsuccessful in this way, we have talked about like, oh, the inherent beauty of the mistakes and you accept the medium and the qualities. What do you mean when you say unsuccessful? Like, yeah, when the image is just not legible anymore at all. So if it's like totally fogged or totally underexposed or, or then just some like too, too overwhelming mistake. You can also, I don't know if people really understand this when listening, when they haven't seen, but it's literally like an emulsion like on the plate so like there's a physical layer of this image film that is super yeah. liquid and you stand with it in your hands and you swoop it around so that it goes all over the plate and then the image is on this so you can also have these 
happening is where like the emotion kind of like falls over or like oh, falls yeah. off the plate and you literally like like your picture is almost like sliding off or yeah that also happened of course many times <laughs> yeah. yeah and then what do you do you clean the plate and reuse it or well the main thing is to have as clean plates as possible yeah and uh, yeah most of those very bad mistakes I of course cleaned up and reused the same glass plate um, yeah and then about these peeling issues um, normally you add a little strip of egg white in the edges of the glass oh, yes. plate and that kind of works as gluing the edges on, on place and then the rest will stay better when it doesn't have the chance to lift from the corners or the edges Okay, let's move a little bit mm. further up Fanny's timeline. Uh, when are we moving over the border? We are, we are first moving from the Bibog municipality to Bibog, the city. Oh yes, I see. It's yeah. more urban now. There's yeah. a railway station, there is like a round church thing with like, wow, doomsday cloud yeah. thing happening. That's, uh, also one of those beautiful wet plate mistakes. <laughs> but it mistake looks amazing. Clouds, yeah, I love them as well. Yeah, it's when the developer doesn't flow um, like fluidly enough all over the plate, and uh, possibly also when you don't have enough developers, so you might get this kind of. If you accidentally do it too slow and it gets too thick while you are moving, or something like this, or what could be the happening? Uh, of those clouds? No, it's or just like when, yeah, the when flow the, of the developer. Yes. And it's that just like when you don't have the right wrist technique or... Yeah, or, or too, too small amount of the developer liquid itself mm. or then it's just uh, maybe lacking alcohol or just not... Uh, somehow the colonian might be a bit uh, old already and, and then it sticks more or something like that. I don't know exactly, but yeah. Mm. Oh, there are some really beautiful photographs in here. I don't know if I, I can't really explain all of them, I think, but they're like very nice photographs of uh, railway tracks and, and electrical telephone lines and old buildings, houses, little fragments of city. Yeah, but it's also interesting here, this is um, a picture from Vibok, um, modern day, like last autumn, and mm. there is this kind of a huge sphere, which is kind of this heart-eyed emoji, uh, smiley face thing. Is it a sculpture? It's a, a 3D sculpture-ish mm. type of a thing, um, but what is curious, I mean, it's not curious, the emoji itself, but and there is the Vibok castle right behind it, but how this technique renders color, because obviously the smiley thing is actually bright yellow with <gasps> red eyes and in this uh, wet plate collodion language that is uh, mainly sensitive only to blue and UV light uh, it renders yellow completely black and also of the red you just see basically the specular highlights so all the smiley thing is really dark <laughs> wow yeah because uh, so if people didn't understand there are no colors on these images they're black and white but the white is like a beige dusty white milky white so but yeah wow that is interesting so a lot of what we see on these that looks super dark might be bright yellow yeah yeah exactly such a trick and what is this with the this person one is there? also uh, from the there is this very famous Montrepo park 
that used to be there also uh, during the Finnish era. And this is a sculpture called the Song of Väinämöinen. Väinämöinen is the character from the Finnish national epic. Kalevala. Kalevala, yes, the main character kind of, or at least one of them. So, yeah. And this sculpture is like raising a hand towards a mountain. Yeah. Or, well, or a cliff, but or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or sky, I don't know. Yeah. But it's we can only see the whole like cliffside and the trees on yeah. top, maybe. So it looks like uh, I don't know. It could be a mountain. Yeah, I'm yeah. from a very flat country. I always think that things are mountains. Well, Finland is not very high either. So <laughs> no, I don't. We compared. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mm. And so it's quite interesting that some of these photos are super recent, like for instance this emoji hard eye sculpture. I can obviously see that it's a lot more contemporary mm. than other things, but then other things, I don't know, like the sculpture photo you have taken, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. just the next day of the emoji. <laughs> that could have been anytime. anytime. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of these, it's like this interesting uh, traveling in time, Yeah, not just through the history, but also like we don't know what what year we are looking at. We don't even know what century we are looking yeah, at. Which yeah. is that was what, the reason why I wanted to choose this kind of a historical method and do all the reproductions in the same way. So they bring the aesthetic language of the installation kind of to the same same level in a way and also it's confusing which is nice <laughs> yeah it becomes this and especially when you tell me there are AI images now I'm like I wonder which ones are like AI maybe I will see if I can guess at some point but yeah. it's really it becomes this uh, puzzle like we talked about before and or like this uh, so you've done the research but we also are invited as audience to like go on research in this puzzle and try to Yeah. See if we can decode or navigate somehow, which is quite nice. Mm. Okay, we are moving further. It's like, like you said, how many? 12 meters table? Yeah. So, and there is like a, a timeline on each side, so like 24 meters of history. This is actually the Vibok railway station, uh, all of those. This is a small part uh, of the current Vibok uh, railway station that is still, like, very small section that is still from the Finnish era existing. This is later built, so it's nowadays. But that still mm. exists. And so actually now we are more than halfway up the table and we are still in the home region. Now we are Now we are moving out. So the choice of... I'm gonna put this down because when I hold it in my hand, I think my fingers are making noises. Um, the choice of having so much at home before voyaging out, as the exhibition is called, was that a pragmatic choice? Because this is the air region you could actually go to and take your own photos, or yes, mainly that. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually yeah wanting to continue with this work and I still want to get over the Atlantic to the US side and be able to photograph there myself so everything from now on is more or less relying on what I was able to find from archives and also these AI images. So is it that your timeline is ending too early in her life? 
life and you want to extend it there or do you just want to expand within the timeline and fill out more of the gaps? Yeah, within the timeline. I still try to find something from those significant locations that I was able to. So now we're by the harbor and she's taking a boat. Yes. Big boat. Yes, an ocean liner. Do you know why she left? I don't know, no. I don't know exactly, but thinking of the time it was before the troubles kind of started uh, between Finland and uh, the neighboring country. So, um, yeah, who knows? Probably in search of just better life. It was these big decades of immig- uh, of emigration, anyhow. And yeah, maybe I mean big family, and yeah, who knows? Was Finland under Russian uh, control at the time? Or? No, no, Finland was um, um, like, auto, uh, well, yes, uh, it wasn't fully independent, but it was autonomous. Mm. So, but it was before before the independence, like the actually becoming Finland as we know Finland. Yeah. 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 Okay, so it was at this time that the ties to Russia were like real. In a way, yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's quite like how old was she again when she left? She was 16. 16, and she left alone. Uh, yeah, to my knowledge, alone. <gasps> uh, so young to meet some some uh, friend or or something then in New York. So obviously she was a yeah, woman leaving yeah, alone at yeah. 16 in this age. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's, it must have been very courageous. Yeah. So we t- she takes the boat and then she arrives where. New York, Ellis Island. So this is the Ellis Island Immigration Center. Mm. Uh, we all know from many historical movies, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where they inspected if you're healthy enough to enter or if you are sent back. Oh. There is the Statue of Liberty, and this is the kind of inspection room that was there. Yeah, you really have to like physically engage with this installation to see all the images because you have layered them up yeah, like you have, mm-hmm. which is uh, it's nice that it's not often you're invited to go so close to so fragile works. Yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I'm happy it's all still standing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, true. I mean, yeah. they're too tall for the children to reach. Yeah, it was actually a big hassle, the height of the table as well, because for a taller person, like I'm close to 180 tall, it's a little bit too low, you have to kind of bend your knees to be able to see the images probably, but uh, yeah, it was a compromise, I had to take the Yeah, because for short people actually, there are some images they can't see. Well, I mean, I think most of the adults, I think uh, even the short ones are... Right in the eye height. In the right height, to observe it better, so it's more like the tall ones have to suffer some back pain to see it. For children, it's probably too high. <laughs> Have you actually been to any of these places in the States yourself previously? No, no, actually I haven't been able to travel over the ocean at all. No, no. yeah, I've also never been to America. Yeah. It's on the list for some time in the future. Yeah, yeah, me too. But waiting for the time. Okay. And then, yeah, it's interesting that we came from this like small Karelian city and it still became very urban compared to where we started in the countryside. But now, wow, now we're in the big city and the houses are like real blocks and... Yeah. 
And there are a lot of people suddenly, like there's traffic. There's traffic. We started with like wooden yeah. horse carriages, kind yeah. of, or, yeah. And now... Even cars. Now there are cars. Even tram lines. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well... Well, actually, tram line also existed in Viborg already back then. But really? Yeah. yeah. Impressive. Mm. Were there people enough for that? Viborg used to be the second largest city of Finland back in the day. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of Finnish history and that I don't know. And it was also a big port, so it was very international. Mm. They were speaking Finnish, Swedish, uh, German and Russian at least. Wow. In Viborg, back in the its best days, so to say. Yeah. Yeah, there is one other episode in the podcast series, episode number six with Sasha Pasha. We talk a bit about like the... Finnish-Russian Karelia history uh, because yeah, Pavel had uh, grandparents who were split to each side of the oh, really? of the border. Well, on each side of the family or something. But like, yeah, yeah. they have like this uh, relocation history and yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Karelia, interesting region. If you want to know about like Finnish history, it's yes. very even for Finns, it's yeah. very particular. It is also because uh, once then those areas were lost for Russia. Um, those it was for several years now. Don't ask me dates because I'm really bad in remembering or even how long. But for quite a long time, like many decades, it was closed off. So the Finns, especially the ones that had to move out, could not even go back and, and revisit their original landscapes so it hasn't been too long when these kind of uh, travels to remember have been possible to do yeah there was quite some cultural <laughs> politics uh, about people like mm. being asked to um, assimilate into the site they had been placed on right and like this Karelian culture was not really mm. allowed to be preserved as it had actually had its own thing uh, or as far as I understand it yeah. uh, I've met a lot of Finns who when they realized they had family lines like tracing back to Karelia they were really like wow it's particular I want to know more about my history and yeah. yeah do you know about the family you had in this region that stayed there um, so I know something like um, um, my great-grandfather um, they already moved away before the wars, so they already relocated before they were, didn't do it forcibly. But then the rest of the family had to flee. So, kind of, my family branch has hasn't had to endure that much as the rest, uh, who actually then had to pick up their cows and walk away yeah. from underneath the wall. So I know some of the stories, but not too much. No, and also it's these things like with history and war and things happen. It's not like people are in that good a position to document or right. recollect or write down, you know, trauma and things happening. And like it's, yeah, yeah which is why something like Anne Frank's diary is so yeah. iconic because it's not everyone in the middle of war who sits down to write everything down or have the possibility yeah. to photograph it or, right. yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay, we are in New York. Do you know much about her life here? No, not really. I know just a few addresses where she used to live. Mm. Um, and I know that she married, um, as I said, in Manhattan. And 
maybe with the second husband as well already, I'm not sure anymore if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, and, and worked as a housekeeper. And, and her husband worked at the sea. So I know some of the travels of her first husband as well, Ooh. from those like harbor documents when, when um, the, the well, mainly men working on board uh, came uh, to the shore, to the harbor. And oh, so they've some, been registered when, yeah, they, like, when they came and when they had to leave and what was there. So yeah, these kind of, kind of trivial things I know, but not much more, yeah. Oh yeah. So I tried to find these archival images also in the surrounding where her kind of recorded addresses where she lived used to be, so that there would be kind of sceneries that she might have actually seen. <laughs> ah, yes, okay. Yeah. So these are like time periods, like authentic these images. Well, more, more or less. Yeah, around, yeah. More or less around, that's all. But I mean, in a way it's nice, and it is the way that at least I have always tried to imagine or, or place myself in like family history, other people's memories. Like my mom moved to Paris as, to work as an au pair for a year when she was 19 or 20 or something. And so she'd always told me about these stories and like yeah. that experience and that time. And so the first time I was in Paris, I went to look up this old address where she looked, and it's not like I could go and enter any house, whatever, sure. so many years ago. But to just be in the streets and imagine, like, you know, um, how was this, like, 60, 50 years ago? I don't remember how long time after it was, but you know, yeah. to just, like, yeah, imagine that, oh, my mom had a life here for a while. So. Yeah. I think this is a very intuitive way to try and display it. Mm -hmm. I think we need to move to Sina's yeah. side. side. Yeah. We end in we end in Los Angeles, actually. With Fanny. Yeah. 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 Fanny. It just felt weird to not like bring yeah. it to the end. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't able to find too many archival images from Los Angeles that were public domain, so oh. <laughs> I have just very few. And then here. An AI image. One of them. <laughs> I used those early versions of Dale and Midjourney, and yeah. I have to say that the quality of those images is far from photographic, even though that was what I was kind of requesting to get. So they are kind of like it's more blurry, blurry and drawing-like and clumsy, but and somehow the I find cars it look a little bit like weird old-school sci-fi futuristic blobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, funny. Okay. So now, Sine. Yeah. We start again back in the. Back in her original sceneries. And she was then from the completely opposite end of Finland, so to say. So when Fanny was from the east, uh, Sine is from the west coast, from a small city, still, still considered a city mm. called Kaskinen. It's somewhat close to Vasa, probably is the most mm. large city over there or so. And uh, yeah, a lot of this is very recognizable for me. Like, not that I've been to this place, but yeah. in the way that it looks like small town Finland. Like some of these huts or houses are very old or very traditional wood houses, and others yeah. a little bit newer with a playground there. And 
So this is yeah the home of my grandfather and therefore Sinja as well. It's the actual home. Actual home. Do you I, know who lives there now? Well, actually, yes, it's the, my mother's cousin, and uh, I I just went to Gaskin and I didn't know where this house is. I didn't know the address and I didn't know that there was relatives still there. So and then I went to this. Um, what is the museo like this regional small museum um, mm. documenting uh, mainly or, or preserving something local and i talked with the man there who had made a, a like digitized a huge archive of images and, and we came to talk and i said okay my mother's family or my grandfather's family is originally from here and he asked me about the name of my grandfather and then i said it and uh, he was like, oh yes, we have pictures of him. And then I started uh, telling about my project and about Signe, and he was like, oh, we have pictures of Signe too. <laughs> and so they had like, a good archive. Yes, and uh, amazing memory, this man. And he was already quite elderly, but yeah, remember just by heart like this. And, uh, and then I was like, okay, do you happen to know where they used to live? And he said, like, um, no, but I know somebody who would know, and then uh, he referred to this uh, me to this woman who then turned out to be my mother's cousin and my mother has met her when they were children, like maybe four or five or something the last time and never since. Oh. Uh, but yeah, then I was able to locate her and then found out she, she doesn't live here anymore but her ex-husband lives in the house and she lives somewhere else so I could visit inside and yeah see some old photos and some old documents and, and yeah it was very interesting. Oh that's so cool yeah. wow wild did you you didn't imagine that you would go there and then actually have such actually a find out something more than I already had meet family yeah. members. No exactly yeah wow why did you choose to not have any photos from inside the house? Was that just for their privacy? Or? Also, but also because there is nothing from inside from either of those timelines. It would be kind of a different concept. So you're really trying to reflect the two women's like parallel yeah. storylines. Yeah, in a way. So Singha left a little later. Yeah. And she was al already 25 when she left <laughs> and went to meet an uncle in Quincy, Massachusetts, inside mm. the Boston area. So it's interesting, like, your family didn't have much of these, like, um, old photos or knowledge, or you had to go through, like, external channels to yeah. realize about your own family history? Yeah, I guess, it, um, I don't know, I guess the families, both of my mother's and father's side, they haven't been very... Uh, like close of course with the immediate family yes but then branching further than that there hasn't been like family reunions or something like that at least before so yeah and also I mean it can be difficult with this historic because how many generations back do people actually have that much knowledge about or you know yeah well it depends I guess there are just like different approaches so some are more tight-knit than others. Yeah, and I mean, my great-grandmother on my dad's side, she had an actual, like, uh, what is it called? Like a lineage researcher. Yeah. Uh, research her lineage and make a book. Oh, so wow. actually inherited uh, in the family from my grandfather mm. is a book that has the whole lineage until my dad, he's the youngest person to make it into the book. His yeah. younger brother did not make it into the book oh. because it was made before he was born. Oh, yeah. Um, but so, and that dates back to... 
a few hundred years or something with yeah. actual like portrait photos and people's wow. like yeah like, and or places and here did someone yeah. live and that's yeah. very precious yeah yeah it is I mean of course it's still what do we really know about them but some like it that they have been mm. farmers in these areas or these things yeah I don't know if it's 200 years or something that he has managed to trace back mm. some names and things and yeah it's very uh, I flipped through it. It's, it's difficult. Like also when he died, and we we're looking through all these old photos, and he has not like made notes about everything. It's just like a big mess of a lot of photos. Mm. And then like uh, my aunt and my grandmother would are able to, and my dad like to point out some faces and some names. But you know, at one point this will get lost. This no, knowledge, and I have like now stored in my storage uh, hotel where a lot of my things in Denmark are. These two boxes just full of my granddad's like photos and stuff and at some point no one will know who they are even some of them we're like we have no idea who these people are if they were from his wife's family or but then I like this like I can create these narratives in my brain that like yeah. oh maybe this is my great 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 uncle yeah. or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you might have been this type of person yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, also when I when I started to make the family research, uh, one of my reference points for this whole work was that I happened to find from online from these Ellis Island uh, immigration records that there were actually quite a few Hailies who entered, and I was like, okay, maybe one of those is my relative, mm-hmm. uh, the one that I knew that somebody traveled, but not who or when. Um, and then it turned out actually none of them were directly related to me because there were two families of with the same surname around the Vibok area. And all of those who have been recorded as highly, they uh, are from the other family line. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the surnames of Singer and Fanny is not highly. <laughs> it's wild though that your family name can be traced back so far, mm. that it, they have kept the name throughout generations in that way. Yeah, they, of course there are also a lot of like, changes, like one branch, they changed their surname to something else then at some point, but yeah. But I'm it's not a very common surname also that I have, so it's only those two families, at least, okay. to my knowledge. So, um, yeah. It helped a little bit with the Probably. research. Yeah. So let's move on. When does Sina leave her uh, West Coast Finnish uh, childhood place? Well, uh, she was 25 and she was born in 1902, so 27 then, my maths. <laughs> And where in this timeline, like uh, we are still in Kaskinen, so all of this Kaskinen is a very beautiful city. Uh, yeah, it's a lot city, of city, city. Yeah, they're real houses, but then, like this yeah. very cute. So Finland's kind of like a Finnish modern civilization was like a lot of it is built by the Swedes coming here from to the west coast, right? So as far as far as I have understood, like. A lot of uh, the West Coast has been built by Swedish immigrants here, and um, there are a lot of these really traditional, cute wooden houses with a lot of beautiful wood carvings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe in Helsinki has been more, but uh, not so much is preserved. Mm. But like, and also the style in Helsinki is quite different. Yeah, this is more like Swedish style at least. I don't know if it was built by the Swedes, but yeah. No, but okay, but like um, techniques that have like, yeah. at least yeah. traveled. Yeah. yeah, a lot of Helsinki is built by the Russians a bit in a different era also. Yeah. Yeah. But so a lot of these houses are really beautiful, wow, like public houses. I don't know what they are, but... Well, this is the city hall nowadays, and mm. this was maybe a school, if I remember correctly. This is um, 
like Birastotal or municipality also used to be a police station, this one with the tower. Oh. And it was it is now uh, I don't know if it already finished, but it was in auction just now. For <laughs> private purchase? Yeah, yeah. And uh, like the price the starting price was something like six thousand euros. Yeah. In Finland you can buy old amazing wooden houses for no money. Okay. Like literally Well this is a wood uh, not wood but um, stone. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But it has a very picturesque tower. Yeah. And, but in general, like are you, there are a lot of old big houses and schools and stuff in this country that is like just empty in the countryside. Yeah. So just a bit far <laughs> from many places, but yeah. Yeah, That's which you can, well, which is why you can get them for no money because no locals need all these massive spaces. Yeah. Often. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So. So we are still in Kostin. How long did you spend there? Was it one trip, these photos, or did you go multiple times? It was one trip and it was one week. Okay. So not much longer than that. Had you been there before? No, no, never. It was the first time I actually didn't even know about Koskinen before <laughs> doing this project and all the research. So nice to have a purpose to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. In that way. Yeah. Okay, now there's a little bit interesting point of the timeline, because here we have only like a... So in the middle of this whole table you have made the middle barrier or wall with the black glass plates yeah. so that we can actually see the translucent ones in front but there is a gap here where there are no translucent plates in front of the black one. Mm. Why? Uh, just because I wanted to show this uh, kind of um, seascape horizon of Kaskinen. It's so it is a panorama that is a kind of. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not really, but yeah. But created from be. three images. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's nice. So it's so it was just like a photographic landscape choice. It's not because this house we see on the seashore or like lakeshore is like significant. Well, it's a significant house for Gaskin in the town, but not to okay. Sydney. But yeah, yeah. Hmm. I really like this one in front with the. Fishing dam or what is? Yeah, I don't know what it was. I was just curious, so I took a picture. <laughs> it's like a round wooden railing in the middle of the water. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's also um, to breaking it up this way. It reminds you that this is a photography exhibition. It's almost like a photo book or mm -hmm. a history book that yeah. has been where all the pieces, like pages, have been ripped out and like placed. Yeah. Like I actually a think of it myself a little bit like if you've ever done video editing, well of course you have, but the listeners have done, uh, and you have this video editing uh, software and you have your little pieces of recorded things on timeline. separate timelines, so I think of it a little bit like this, they are also in different layers and different mm -hmm. depths and then you can just work with them like a puzzle, so I True. do it a little bit like that. Did you consider translating this further into another medium like video or a book or something? Well, just today I was here before we met trying to record a small, at least a documentation, a documentation video of the installation like that. It wasn't very successful. I have to come back with better gear. Oh. So, but I got something. And oh, that's nice. It might work. It might work. Yeah. Are you gonna then only have documentation from the space or are you gonna actually uh, like edit it afterwards with the uh, using 
the original imagery or something like this? Oh, I haven't decided yet. That's okay. So we will have First to I need to get some better material recorded. It's yeah. hard to photograph glass and things in this that are like... Um, Very reflective. Very like reflective when we are standing here, we see each other reflected back all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's problematic. Yeah. And generally to do like good documentation photography it's a very different way of photographing than yeah. doing photo art right I yeah. mean it's a really yeah. yeah it's more like you have to know the techniques to do it and also you have to remember to take the whole room and it's good to have a people in the images if you really want to get an understanding of the scale oh yeah we forgot to say how large these glass plates are oh that's true yeah so they are uh, 18 times 24 centimeters so it's this European standard of the largest format that is still not ultra-large and something excessive, yeah. So, basically, the glass plates need to go inside the camera. Mm -hmm. Physically, the camera needs to be large enough to have the plates inside it with yeah. the wet chemicals on. And so, there's a limit to how large plates you can yeah. put yeah. in a camera. Of course, you can make a huge camera, but the bigger the plate, the bigger the camera. Yeah, yeah. so these are actually very large for this technique. Your cameras. Yeah big it's a, yeah an old school studio camera from the beginning of the 1900s so it's like uh, those Donald Duck accordion type <laughs> looking things gone on steroids <laughs> <laughs> and is it your own or did you borrow it for this process it's or? my own it's my main tool at the moment mm. yeah that I use the most yeah how heavy is it Oh, it's uh, it's not very transportable. It's a studio camera, so it comes with its own kind of a wheelie, um, not the tripod, but some sort of a support setting. And yeah, you can only use it in the studio. Yeah, which is one other reason why yeah. going in the field to take all these would have been yeah. very difficult. Well, not not with that camera. With a different camera, it would have been possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, we are moving on some railway tracks. And this you recognize we are in Helsinki now. And this you recognize as a post. Oh yeah. Okay. So now we're in Helsinki. There is uh, the main station, Rauta uh, Tiendori, and uh, which is where this uh, maybe the Russians built. Oh this. no no no! no. Is it it's it earlier than that. It's Eliel Saarinen, one of the most famous architects. <sighs> architects in okay. Finland. Uh, <laughs> you make a lot of cultural assumptions on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> but it's very bombastic. It has these large statues. It's like uh, um, what is it called? Uh, Jugend style like uh, the more Nordic Art Nouveau. So it's very large and bombastic and very detailed but in this brutal way. It's not brutalism but it feels brutal. Okay. I would say. Yeah. The one, one like curious connection that many Finns m might know uh, is that actually the old railway station in the Finnish era in Viborg was also built by Elias Arin and it was almost a smaller replica of this. So the little part that still remains is from this original Elias oh, really? Arin built railway station but the main part in Viborg is completely different yeah, nowadays. Modernized. Yeah. So which one was earlier? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I would guess Helsinki was first and then we both later, but I don't swear anything. We can check it on Wikipedia. It would have been nice though if people was like the prototype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then some industry next to uh, our school and where I have my studio. And so this is an active like a power 
plant or something like this, yeah. working with coal still. Stone coal, yeah, uh, so. electricity, uh, whatever. Plant. Which is one of these things that I mean, like, it's not, I, it's not normal for me to, in the middle of the city, just next to where you are, to have this, like, active, like, coal power plant happening. And yeah. it's very, yeah. Yeah. So this is actually from the view of the current Fine Arts Academy uh, window. So, <laughs> Did you take it from Mayaka, from the top uh, tower in the old lighthouse? Uh, from, from the roof uh, terrace. From the roof yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a good view. Yeah. And I like that this big pile of cold, when there's like snow on the top, it looks like a real little mountain. Yeah, yeah, and it turns from black to all white. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Back to black again, according to the seasons. And so, of course, this was a lot easier for you because mm -hmm. you are in Helsinki, you could take all these, but are some of these pictures, like, did you already have them or did you take all of them for this exhibition? The new ones I took for this, this particular project, then, of course, these are historical images, those three. Mm -hmm. We are looking at historical images of uh, old sail ships and... Uh, by night was yeah oh yeah okay yeah and then and more modern the ferry to yeah. Tallinn maybe or, or, or Sweden I don't know or Sweden. Sweden yeah yeah, yeah. and then the one that goes to Suomenlinna oh yeah there are a lot of ferries here okay so a lot of boats now is that because now Sina yeah, yeah. is sailing yeah, exactly. away yes yeah it's a nice little uh, fairy tale here yeah. <laughs> oh and there is the Statue of Liberty again everyone comes to New York yeah also that was one of the main harbors so yeah she also arrived to Ellis Island mm -hmm. and uh, but then continued on from there uh, close to Boston so Quincy in Massachusetts and then Uh, to Rhode Island for a period of time after that. Because she had family and that's where she went or...? She had an uncle in Quincy, mm. yeah, and at least for some time she apparently lived with his family. Uh, and then in Rhode Island, I guess, uh, she was on her own probably also working uh, for some other family as a maid or, or something like that. And uh, Yeah, then she also married uh, in New York to this Swedish man, originally from Göteborg, if I'm not mistaken. And so do you know why she left? Like, it's a little bit later in history and she was older and like, did you manage to find more information about her? Or was it the similar like story with the Fanny's story that it's... Well, a little bit more, obviously, um, she left in 1927, so when she was 25, and, um, well, yes, I, I found out, um, well, actually, not necessarily more. I, I didn't find out uh, the absolutely exact year when she was born, because I couldn't find those church records, they're mm. not pu public yet, um, so I have, like, an approximate idea of when she was born, and uh, also... Um, Yeah, I know that, that uh, they then moved back with her husband to Sweden, as I said, uh, but I don't know exactly when she died either and where she was buried. But yeah, or oh, funny, I know those things. Yeah. yeah. How did your family feel about this project? Were they like curious that you found out this much? Or? Yeah, yeah, they were actually very curious and I uh, yeah, 
try to explain as much as I know also and share the information. Yeah. Have they visited the gallery and seen it? My mother has, yeah. Okay, we are almost at the end of Sina's timeline. Where are we now? Uh, so this is now Rhode Island. Um, yeah, she didn't stay very long there, but I was able to. She went a little bit like back and forth, more than Fanny did. Mm -hmm. So she was like Quincy, Rhode Island, Quincy, uh, then a short trip to, back to Sweden, probably with her husband. But, um, Central, and then again to Quincy, and then eventually to New York. So she also lived in New York. And this is an AI photo. Yes. Yeah. It's very obvious. <laughs> uh, it's um, is it like a, a ship, and there is like a dining area on the ship? Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know uh, what the AI imagined. I asked. Uh, to create images from the passenger point of view from on board of an ocean liner crossing from some particular harbor to another and this is what I got a big block of very abstract forms that resemble a boat I guess but it's nice because then you have other ones where you've made drawings like just next to it is a drawing yeah. from a photo and then there are these very intricate detailed photos and so with the style of the emblem type it all becomes a little bit blurry and a little bit like a drawing where you've put just like filter on everything something more so I mean if you just look quickly you wouldn't realize that this yeah. AI guy you you could think he was drawn by your hand or True, yeah. it could have been like someone drawing on a photo yeah um, is this AI stuff something that you chose specifically for this project or is it something you want to work more with well, I've done one previous work, which was actually like an again like an old family uh, album because I don't have any of those, and I wanted to have, or I would have liked to have had a family old family album with these thick cardboard pages of portraits. I would love such a thing. Uh, so since I don't have it, I can't even inherit it since it doesn't exist. So I wanted to make one, and there um, I took portraits of myself many of them, and then use this uh, AI uh, software to transform those faces to different ages and different genders and different styles and created this whole book of me, <laughs> but looking like it would be somehow like a family album. And of course, reprinted those with these old analog methods again. And yeah, yeah. Did you also take those photos as like old school? Like what was the no, I needed to have digital, obviously, the original, because I needed to be able to use them as AI to make the conversion, conversions. But then once I had those conversions, then I made uh, negatives out of them and printed them analogly. Was it just one photo of yourself or did you, no. did you, did you imagine that you were different characters when you took the photos? Uh, yeah, I actually uh, copied many of those old historical portrait styles mm -hmm. and tried to you know, match a little bit with the clothing. Like if I knew that I want to make a male version, so then I had a male suit on and, mm -hmm. and that sort of things, like different poses, different uh, lightings and kind of different eras a little bit and then just change the face with the AI. It was fun, yeah. How many relatives did you create for yourself or have the AI create for you? Oh, well, it was a full album. Um, I don't remember now exactly. I can check the amount of the pictures if you want to know. Um, sorry, maybe oh, I can find this out. Um, so it's here. 63. 
63. Yeah. So a few generations, huh? Well, yeah, a full book worth. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it really looks like these old, uh, where the photo album has these really beautiful, like, drawings of leaves and stuff yeah. around the photos. Wow. Yeah, it was a vintage album that yeah, I Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And they are all you. They are all me. Wow, that's mm. amazing. I mean, it's also... I think it's funny. I think using AI in this way that it has like some quirky purpose in the mm. application, it makes sense. Like you yeah. are creating this like family storyline and images and then yeah, to throw in some I can imagine it. Maybe the computer can also imagine it or <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And you know, if it's something that I can't take a picture of myself anymore and I can't find anything from an archive so it's an empty hole and it can be filled with this <laughs> yeah. tool so yeah yeah it Why really is like it? a collage you're just like uh, plastering in the gaps here yeah. and there with like whatever okay a little bit of tape there yeah. <laughs> whatever works works and then like some some drawings, some, it's a lot of cityscape. It's, uh, yeah, this is New York again. So mm -hmm. she stayed for some time in New York and then they moved to Malmö, Sweden. So, oh, so we ended in Sweden in, in recent day Malmö. In the, in the 50s, 60s. Okay, yeah. so also archival photography. Yeah, so um, overall, what do you call this type of photography? There are not that many people, or if they are, like you don't really see their faces, or they're not portraits. So is this landscape photography? It's landscape, yeah. Landscape or cityscape. I mean. Or cityscape, yeah. yeah. Um, and was that a choice from the beginning, or was it because you chose, realized during the research that you couldn't find photos of the actual people that you were researching and so it was better to not really have people at all or no it was actually a decision right from the start that okay. i wanted to not actually it's still fictional obviously even though it's basing on some some real facts or supposed facts um but yeah it's not that i would have wanted i mean of seeing i have a beautiful portrait probably taken in america oh. but uh from oh, fun, funny i don't have any any pictures but um yeah, I, I, it's more about kind of their perspective through my perspective of those spaces and uh, places and mm -hmm. time and not about them as people, I would say. Yeah, traveling through someone else's, yeah, traveling through inherited memories or inherited narratives or but then through your eyes yeah. and your camera lens. And my research, I guess, mainly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, also that, um, yeah, we're looking at their history, but through the eyes of you as a trained photographic artist who looks, maybe maybe they would have never taken the same photos, you know? Maybe. Oh, probably not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Probably so it's not. also yeah. this, we are already having this other version of the yeah. landscape, but also of what has been noticed, maybe. Yeah. Mm. yeah, well, it's a really nice exhibition. Thank you for showing me. Thank you for coming. Uh, maybe just, uh, I feel like with this particular um, technique and medium, we need we owe the audience to explain just a little bit more, because it is very technical. So how... There are always chemicals in the dark room, analog photography is a lot about all these different 
it's a lot of chemistry actually. Yeah. But this, when I have done this, it feels like even more real yeah. old school chemistry. It's like steampunk somehow in its own weird yeah. way. Yeah, probably it's because you don't have too many things that are like readily prepared, so you actually just have to prepare your light sensitive surface by yourself. So that's how toxic is it like is is it well, more like it's, a... it's toxic yeah it's quite toxic unfortunately yeah well um the collodion uh, the sticky thing that you put on the glass plate it's a mixture of the collodion which is um um Okay. It looks like iodine and stuff. It's like it has the same color as like. It's not iodine. It's um. Or I. Oh, okay. what, uh, what is I'm this called? But this thing that you use to clean the wounds with, or you maybe still do it as no, no, it's not cleaning. It's for tying wounds. It's um. For tying. Oh, like yeah. Okay. Uh, cotton gunpowder or something like that. Um, Diluted in with alcohol and ether, and if you know ether is very smelly. It was something that was used as a anesthesia mm. in the early days, uh, with some uh, salts, obviously, because in order to create something light sensitive, it's always a mixture of silver and salt. So the salt is diluted into this sticky substance, and then there is the silver nitrate, which creates the metal part, and that is also quite toxic especially to aquatic life so yeah and so when you work with it in the dark room this technique like you have the sticky brown orange yellow stuff like yeah. maybe everywhere it's quite like messy oh, you are very no, clean no. <laughs> it's not everywhere you don't want to put it everywhere you just have to because it's really learn messy, how to yeah. handle it and then yeah you just always keep it in closed containers and just mm -hmm. have it out when you need to pour a plate do you work with this at home, or like, do you have a dark room you can use for this work? Yeah, in my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's maybe not the best ventilation and all, but I wear a gas mask, so... Yeah, yeah okay, so you don't get too dizzy. I have, well, you feel it the next day. Sure. I have gotten dizzy a little bit when we have been working with this stuff. You're also inside the dark for like super long time but the good thing is you can actually leave the red light on for a lot of the process right yeah, because yeah. you need to expose for so long that it doesn't like a moment yeah. of red light is not no it's not change. sensitive to red light at all it's only sensitive to blue and uv light mm -hmm. so it's uh, yeah possible to handle under red light but always standing inside the red light you always get a little bit like weird in the brain anyway and for me at least and then Maybe, with this yeah. like ether thing yeah yeah <laughs> What is it you like about working with, with this? It's not a very practical way of doing photography. Like it's it's more difficult and maybe also more expensive. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, the silver nitrate is quite expensive, especially nowadays since the silver price has been going up quite a lot in the past years. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's um, I, well, we talked about the mistakes, so I like these surprises, and obviously I also like this amber type because it's a direct positive method, as I said. So I like it that it's uh, immediately 
kind of immediately after the 15 minutes or so you see the result so I like that yeah and just the aesthetic of it I, I just mm. I enjoy it despite it's uh, you know not so contrasty or not so brilliant as uh, some other even analog or especially the digital processes are but I like the limitations yeah, because you do shoot like digital and like uh, other more standard types of film analog photography yeah. and this one right at yeah. least you have taught me in all of these <laughs> different yeah, types yeah. and photoshop as well so but is this like do you enjoy this process more working with this very it's more hands-on in this way that you have to like be with the plates really quick and yeah I don't know. I do, and I yeah, I have to admit, I'm I'm very skill greedy. So I love to learn new ways of working with things, and then when I do learn something, and if I find it somehow pleasing, I want to also try to make something real with it, like a, an actual artwork. Uh, but still, I want to connect the process with the topic or the content of the artwork. I find it very important that I'm not just doing this because. I know this, but I want to do it because it works with this particular uh, topic that I'm dealing with. A little bit how I feel like people working with AI now, there's a lot of generic profile picture AI happening that like, but why? And then there are other people finding like creative applications where it actually maybe has a purpose mm. as a tool. At least to me. <laughs> maybe yeah, to no, but like, I, I agree. Yeah. I think also if you have a proper idea with it, it's nice. Yeah. But of course it's also just okay to say wow it's a weird old technique and I think it's nice to keep it alive or yeah it's a little bit of a niche right do many people shoot or like make this kind of photography works? well yeah of course it's a niche but still if we are talking about analog and alternative photographic methods I guess wet plate collodion is the one that is kind of taken a big rise in the past few years so oh, there are quite a few kind of I mean in, in general analog photography in my opinion is having a quite a strong renaissance going on in the past 10 years or so um, after the, the very huge crash uh, when the digital image making became possible so obviously there was again maybe a period of 15 years or something when all analog was kind of deemed dead but then now the past 10 years it's been uh, rising up again and um, of course it starts starts mainly with film photography and black and white darkroom work and so on um, but I, I do see that there is a big boom of wet plate as well even in Finland I guess we have more than like close to 20 active wet platers at least well, more than 10 between 10 and 20 maybe, uh, <laughs> like wet platers so uh, <laughs> like yeah. 10, 10 to 20 people it's a lot <laughs> it's, it's, Finland is a small country with yeah. a small population of 5 million maybe yeah. but still like yeah. that we're talking we are still talking about a niche that like that sure <laughs> sure so do you think there's any chance that um, it will be easier to acquire all these chemicals and stuff in the future if it has a little bit of a rise or is it just still it's not so easy, uh, right? No, actually getting wet plate stuff is, is pretty simple. Okay. Uh, you can just order it from online and they will be delivered to your door. So, oh, yeah, okay. it's not too bad. Unfortunately, we used to have this uh, guru in Tampere, uh, Olli Jaakkola, with his Hopeavedos shop. And I just today heard that he doesn't sell out chemicals anymore. And that's going to be like our local distributor is gone. So we have to always order from abroad, unfortunately. But, yeah... Mm. These are the things that happen. Yeah, but also people have to really know what they're doing with this, right? I yes, mean. absolutely. Yeah, there are 
like safety and environmental hazards quite a lot, so you have to know what you're doing. Yeah, you can't just toss it in the drain once you have, like, you contain all the waste liquids and it sure, has to be yeah. disposed of. And, but also just to even get an image, you have to be, like, measuring all these different things and mixing them in really careful yeah, ways, well, right? The more precise, the easier it is for you actually to get an image, but of course, uh, yeah. You can relax as well and then see if something works or not. Hopefully <laughs> <Maybe> not. <laughs> okay, well, um, maybe just like I just realized that there's this map. Let's end at mm. that. Yeah. So it's a map of the world. Yeah. It's an, again, an old map that I found from an archive online and uh, from around those eras in the beginning of the 1900s, how the world looked. I love how the top of Greenland it could not fit inside the frame. So instead of making yeah. the frame larger, they just like had Greenland cross the border of the frame, yeah. and also some like Zealand, New, New Zealand, and yeah, in each side. Okay, New Zealand is repeated in each and west. Wow, that's funny. Yeah. So and then there are these uh, silver and uh, gold lines showing the roads that my aunts took. Oh, Fanny has really gone across the ocean a few times, huh? Uh, it's Signe Silver. Yeah. Signe Silver. Signe oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Maybe also since that's like, what, 30 years later or how much later? 20 years later. 20 years later, do you think it has already at this time been easier to commute? Probably, and uh, also I know that uh, at some point it wasn't only going over with a boat, but also flying. Oh, wow. Yeah. Early days of flight tourism. Probably, yeah. Nice. Um, Is there anything I have forgotten to ask or something you want to still make sure to mention or... I guess we talked quite... It was a good all around, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly for you listening, um, these very specific techniques and stuff, even I have learned them with Yanni in the dark room twice. I've done this collodion course twice with you and I still am not completely sure I understand everything. It's not so easy. Google if you really want to know. Um, Do you have any website or social media places that you want to share that people can find you and your work? Well, yeah, I have a website, which surprisingly enough is www.jennyheile.com. So my name and .com. And then on Instagram, I'm also at So Perfect. So in the show notes, I will link to these sites. And since it will be a little while until this comes online, so maybe people can even see documentation of this once they... Yes, it's Search. already up there. So. Oh, you're very quick. Yes. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't know when. And I say, don't worry, you yeah. have time. <laughs> it was there before the opening already. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Some people are pro in this way. <laughs> okay. So you don't even have to bother to come here <laughs> physically. <laughs> How long is it going to happen? Until the 2nd of April. So next week, Sunday is the take down. Yeah, so this episode will not be up before then, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but maybe some people will accidentally say, oh, I was there, wow, I know what they're talking about. Yeah, fingers crossed. What are you going to do with all the tables after? Oh, I have to just store them somewhere. Yeah. yeah. It's a pain always with this kind of infra that you need. Yeah, it's a lot a, of things to store. I mean, the glass plates are 
They're yes. relatively compact, yeah. but the tables are not. Mm. Okay. Thank you for listening and thank you to Jenny for uh, inviting us into her family history and uh, like this landscape album of translucent memories and places. Mm-hmm. Well, thank that you. was quite nice. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank, thank you for, for listening. Hope, Hope you enjoyed it. it.